G'day. You're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast with me, your host, Brandon Harper. You know what? I think I'm done saying your host. I don't like the way that sounds. Anyway, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I'm Brandon Harper. If you're just tuning into this podcast for the first time, you're thinking, why does he call it Life in Paradise? All he does is complain about everything. You're kind of right. When I started this podcast, I lived in Nicaragua, and I had a uh, sailboat charter business. I still do, but right now it's like a, it's more of a sailboat charter monument <laughs> because of COVID shutting down all the travel. We were a tourist-based business, and so I started this podcast just to uh, chronicle my time down there, and then I moved back here, fast forward a few years, and decided to start back up, and I was partly too lazy to start a new thread and partly didn't just care enough just thought well they can just continue listening so here we are i'm just a regular dude living a regular life getting by one day at a time i am a co-owner and operate new oasis brewing company in corpus christi texas and i don't pre-record intros i suspect today's show will be wonderful but the only way to find out is to keep listening So, sit back, relax, and put your brain on autopilot while me and my sponsors take over. I'm just kidding. I don't have sponsors. But listen, if you would like to sponsor me, I mean, there's no sponsors, so the the prices are very, very low. You could have your product, your company, or your brand represented across the entire internet for just a little bit amount of money. Don't delay. Spots are filling up quick. Okay, on to the program. probably nobody. I suspect everyone listening to this podcast knows me, but I don't know for sure. So if you don't know me, you don't know that I'm like a dog guy. I mean, not a fur baby owner, not a fur daddy, but a longtime dog trainer, dog owner. And I I like dogs, but I don't treat them like humans. I don't put clothes on them. I don't put them in strollers and never would I refer to them as my babies. But anyway, I wanted to talk about a topic that I get asked frequently by people. And you know, I don't know why people just ask me questions because I'm a dog trainer, but I I don't know. I'm not a vet. But anyway, I get all kinds of dog questions. One of the most frequently asked questions is, my dog's a picky eater. How can I make him eat his food? And my answer every time is make him hungrier, make him hungrier. A, A dog will not starve itself to death. They won't do it. Now there's, there's a few dogs. I've met, I think two dogs in my life that I've known that just did not like food. They were not food motivated. They didn't care. And if you withheld food from them, they would vomit. And so that kind of puts them in a predicament. But that's not most dogs. Most dogs go about their lives. And then one day, maybe they just decide, you know what? I don't really feel like eating right now. I'm not hungry or I'm sick. And so what the owner does is they think to themselves, 
oh my goodness, he's sick. He's got to eat. He needs to eat his food. He needs to eat his dog food. How can I make him eat? How can I make him want to eat his food? So then they go get something really, really tasty, like chicken broth or eggs or olive oil, and they put it in their food. And then they put the food back in front of the dog, and the dog's like, wow, this is good. Okay, I'll eat this. And so they gobble it up. Then what happens over two or three times of this? All the dog does is learn, you know what? If I just don't eat it, they'll put something good on it. And before you know it, you have the chef boy RD of dog food. And I cannot tell you how many times I've seen this happen where people are like, oh, yeah, we have to put um, all organic cottonseed oil and beef broth and chicken stock and um, a little bit of wet dog food mixed in with some dry dog food and some protein powder and some eggs. And he'll eat it. Other than, but, but, you know, sometimes we have to put yogurt, too. And I just think to myself, you've lost your mind. Your dog has you trained. And that's, that's what happens is that the people don't even understand that the dog's like, dictating to them what what they're going to eat there's there's pretty much one solution to this to keep from having to do this is that first off you don't just give a a dog a dog food bowl full of food to last them all day and let them come and go as they want to eat because number one they'll overeat and number two you don't know if a dog's healthy because you don't know how their appetite is if they sometimes eat and they sometimes don't when they're sick you don't really know how how they're feeling because that's a huge indicator as to how how a dog's feeling is what their appetite's like. So what I tell people is from day one, from the the time you start feeding dogs in a bowl, you put the bowl down, you give the dog 20 seconds, 30 seconds to start eating it. If the dog stops eating or walks away from the bowl, you take it up and you try it again at night. Same thing. You put the bowl down, Give the dog a second. Dog doesn't start eating. You take the bowl away. And some people would say, oh, that's so cruel. Oh, that's so mean. But how can you say the dog's sitting there telling you, like, I don't want to eat. I don't want this. I don't want the food. I'm not going to eat. So now you take the food away. So you say, okay, you're telling me you don't want to eat. You don't have to eat. Take the food away. Eventually, the, the dog will get hungry enough to eat its food. Now, if the dog is vomiting between feeding attempts and still not eating, then you've got a different situation on your hand. But that's the minority, not the majority. Dogs will not starve themselves to death. Cats will. Take note of that. So this method just gives you the ability to, to control the dog's intake, number one, and to monitor the dog's health and how they're feeling based on their attitude towards food. And what made me think of this is I've got an old dog named Bentley, and she didn't have much of an appetite. And every time a 13-year-old dog stops wanting to eat, I'm like, oh, no. You know, I, I hope this isn't it. And she bounced back. She's eating her food. She still has diarrhea, which I'm not, I'm not going to go into because I got told by a listener that I talked about it too long on another podcast. But anyway, I think she's fine for now. She's eating again. But I wouldn't have known what was going on if I had just let a food bowl out all day for her to just graze. So anyway, take that piece of information, use it, make your dogs eat. And you'll know more about them, and you won't ever have to prepare their meals. Speaking of upset, man, everyone is up in arms about the Supreme Court justice situation. I'm not going to go into all the details. I'm only going to assume that everyone is aware of what's happening. But as the week started unfolding, I thought, man, these Republicans, like they're doing exactly what, um, what they told Obama not to do. And Lindsey Graham came out and said, you know, that um, 
he would eat his words in, in 2016 whenever the Supreme Court justice was um, in transition between Obama and, and Trump. And Lindsey Graham comes out and says, oh, you know, we shouldn't put someone in until after the election. Otherwise, I'll eat my words. And then here he is saying the opposite. And I thought, man, I'm going to do some some more research on this. I mean, that seems crazy to me that he would just blatantly double talk. And then I thought, this is what all politicians do. Not all of them, but a vast majority of them will just flip flop. I mean, everything Joe Biden's for, he's been against. Everything he's against, he's now for. It's crazy. In 47 years, everything's changed. But anyway, going back to the Supreme Court, I, I now understand why the Republicans are in such a rush to get someone in there. Although, I would have liked to have seen Trump wait to show his confidence in the election. But at the same time, is it worth the risk? And so, as it sits, the left is mad because Trump obviously controls the White House and Republicans control the Senate. And all it takes is the presidential nomination and a Senate confirmation of a simple majority to confirm someone into the Supreme Court. And so everyone's all mad because they know the Republicans are going to rush rush this thing through. And I'm thinking, like, this is the exact same thing that everyone would do. Liberal, Democrat, it doesn't matter. This is the same thing everyone would do. The only reason it didn't happen in 2016 between Obama and Trump is because the Senate was Republican and the White House was Democrat. So Obama actually nominated someone. But the Senate immediately shot it down. They didn't vote for them or approve them or whatever the, the process is. I'm not exactly sure how it works. In fact, the Constitution doesn't spell out how it all works. It's kind of vague. So we're just kind of going by um, history, the way that we've been doing things. But either way, had, uh, had the Democrats controlled the Senate in 2016, there would have been a nomination and confirmation uh, before Obama left office. So it doesn't matter what they say. Doesn't matter what they do, they all talk out of both sides of their mouth. Because remember, why do people get into politics? To win elections. That's pretty much it. So then I got to thinking about lifetime appointments and how how scary of a thing that can be. And I don't mean scary because, like, oh gosh, some extremist may get on the Supreme Court and may steer our country in a direction that's gonna run it down the tubes. But it's scary to me because up until two weeks ago. You know, there's an 87-year-old Supreme Court member that was making decisions on, on the way the country's headed. And I've mentioned this before, but, you know, cognitive decline happens. It's not like just maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. It happens in a vast majority of people. I mean, I'm only 40-whatever, two, three, four, I don't know, how old am I? Well, either way, I can tell sometimes that, like, I'm not as sharp as I was when I was 29. In other ways, I, th- I think I have more knowledge you know, but as far as like um, computing things in a in a very fast way or processing things or, or mainly remembering, you know, I find myself forgetting things now. And if you've ever been around anyone who grows old, you can attest that people start forgetting things. And that doesn't happen. It doesn't necessarily start happening when you're old. It can start when you're way younger, but the the frequency is few and far between. So it doesn't happen very often. It's not with big things. But as time goes on, it gets more and more severe. And then people around you start noticing. And some people will deny it and they'll say, oh, well, yeah, you know, sometimes he just forgets things. But it's always age-related. Or drug use. It can be that, too. But for most of us, most Americans, I think our mind goes as we get older. 
And so is it wise to have someone on the Supreme Court who's 87 years old? I'm not saying that they don't have the sharpest of memories, that they don't have the same memory that they had when they were 29, but it's very, 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 very likely that it's declined. And so I got to thinking, like, what did this look like when they when they made this rule or they set out and established the Supreme Court with lifetime appoint, appointments? Well, it was in 1804, and the average lifespan was 30 to 40 years. So if you do the math, I mean, if you got on the Supreme Court at 15 to 20 years old, which I feel like would still be young even back then, but let's just say you got on the Supreme Court at 15 to 20 that means you're 30 to 40 and you're out. You die. When your lifetime appointment ends, you get out. Or you can quit before then, obviously. So naturally, our lifespan has increased from 30 to 40 years to, I don't know, 75, 80 years, whatever it is now. But back then, your mind still ages at the same rate, right? So maybe there's been a few medical breakthroughs that, that keep our minds a little bit sharper, but I just I suspect that in 1804, when people were dying at 30 to 40 years old, their minds were still very sharp. They hadn't hit the cognitive decline. As time went on, people started living longer, and now there is time for their brains to decline at the same rate or faster than their bodies. And so I just feel like that we probably should reevaluate the lifetime appointment to anything now um, and, and put a cap on it. And, and it's tough because where do you put that cap? How old is too old? I don't know. But if we can admit that people are too young to vote because their minds aren't established enough or capable enough of, of deciphering who to vote for, and we can all admit that people's minds decline when they get older, we need to find that threshold because it's just not, it's not wise to, to put that in the hands of someone making these big decisions. And maybe it's not an age. Maybe there's a test. You know, maybe sees, um, there's some world-renowned psychologists and psychiatrists that could come together and, and create a test, and everyone could agree to it. Hey, if you sign up for this job, if you get nominated, and after you're 65, you got to take the test every two years. If you don't score over this, you're out, buddy. See ya. And I think a higher turnover would naturally, you know, create more of a balance in the Supreme Court. Uh, it would keep it. It would keep it on a center line because if you think about it, it's just a struggle over a pendulum. There's people that are fighting to pull it one way. There's people that are fighting to pull it another way. And the higher turnover you have in there, the more it gets let go and drop back to the middle. And so I don't know. It could be a terrible idea. I'd love to hear your input if you agree, disagree. But I just feel like there should be an age limit on the Supreme Court and maybe even the presidency. I mean, you know, they say that oh well, the voter, the voter gets to decide if they're too old. But do they? Do they really? Because I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but but Biden's declining. People are still going to vote for him because they hate Trump so much. And anyone who says he's not in middle decline, I discount your opinion because you're not looking at it objectively. Now, you can say, yeah, sure, his mind's slipping and it's still better than Trump's. That's your opinion. But do we really want to put the country in the hands of someone whose mind is slipping? You may say yes. Totally up to you. Speaking of slipping, my patience for my truck repairs... I straight up slipped. It all started out with a steering issue where the wheels, the front wheels, like there was a bunch of play in the steering wheel. And sometimes the wheels would kind of walk around their own and go where they want to go. And it would turn the truck automatically. And you'd have to fight the steering wheel to get it back on course. It was pretty scary. I just had never had a chance to get it into the shop. Finally, I got it in, spent $1,100. They go, okay, it's fixed. I get it. I drive it out of the shop. It's doing the exact same thing. I'm like, Man, I, I did you guys even drive it? Did you test drive it? Yeah, yeah, it was fine. It wouldn't it wouldn't do it for us. 
okay, well, I can't bring the truck back now. I've got to go to work. So fast forward like a couple weeks, finally I get the truck back to them. They get up underneath it. They say, oh, it's the drag link, blah, blah, blah. It's broken. It's, it's the piece that we replaced last time is already broken, and we're going to fix it under warranty. Okay? They have the truck for a week. They call me. Hey, your truck's ready. I said, and before I dropped it off, I said, I need to go ahead and get an oil change and an inspection while you have the truck. Okay. They have the truck for a week. They call me. Hey, your truck's ready. I go to pick it up. No inspection, no oil change. I drive it out of there, and it's doing the exact same thing. And at this point, I'm like, you know what? I don't even want to go back there, even if they're going to fix it for free. I'm so fed up with them. You know who this was? This was the freaking Ford dealership. <laughs> if you can't tell, I'm a little upset. So anyway, now I got to go find another mechanic, which I think I have one. There's this guy in Corpus Christi named Shook. at Shook Enterprises. And apparently this guy's like a world-renowned mechanic. I mean, they, there's like Lamborghinis and Ferraris parked outside of his shop all the time. He works on old cars from the 20s and has a machine shop and makes his own parts. And I'm like, you know, this guy's going to be expensive. And then I thought, but, but who really cares? I mean, if you add up all the time that I spent waiting and money I spent on Uber and dealing with these people at this point, it doesn't matter to me. I just want it done. So I don't know. That's my truck saga. I mean, the truck does have 245,000 miles on it. You know, my, my model for vehicles is buy them. And run them into the ground. Not like by not maintaining them. Maintain them at a high level and just use them until they just fall apart. And I'm not going to sit here and say my truck is falling apart. But some people would say that. So I like to get my money's worth out of vehicles. And you know every now and then I'll buy a vehicle that is kind of a stupid purchase. But it's not my primary vehicle. And it's something that can be sold quickly or easily. Recently I heard... And I don't know if this is true, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to contend that it is. And it's not super important whether or not it's actually true. But recently I heard that um, in certain parts of California, they're either considering or changing the voting age to 16 years old. And I just don't understand how anyone could think that's a good idea. Because at 16, think about how much you didn't know. Even 18. But let's talk about 16. So at 16... The government deems that you're not old enough to decide whether or not you could buy cigarettes and smoke them. You can't decide whether or not to use alcohol. You cannot engage sexual activity with someone who's over 18. But they think that you're equipped to vote on who's the best person to lead the country. You can't gamble. You can't go buy a scratch-off ticket with your own $1.50 or dollar or however much they cost. But you think that they can decide who's the best presidential candidate i mean even 18 for that matter think about all the things that you have not done more than likely you haven't bought a vehicle more than likely you haven't bought a house more than likely you've never had to file your own taxes and pay money at the end of the year you've never had to pay a capital gains tax you don't know what a real estate transaction looks like you probably can't define the word subsidy you don't know the implications of providing things to people for free you probably don't know what the Federal Reserve is and how it affects our monetary policy. I mean, I could go on and on, but what do you know? What do you know when you're 16 or when you're 18? Nothing. You know about, like, who's famous. You know about Twitter. You know about Instagram. You know a lot about sports cars and, and vehicles and things like that. But you know nothing about policy, about economics, 
about international trade. You know, I truly believe that the, the left is seeing that they're running out of a pool. The people that they draw votes from is shrinking because of the, because of the continual shift to the left. They've already left behind the hardworking man. Trump flipped those guys. All the guys with the names on their shirts, they're no longer Democrats. It's my opinion that you shouldn't be able to vote until you're about 25, maybe 30. I just think about how much I learned between 18 and 30. And even though when I was 18 and I thought I was equipped to vote and I was all excited to go vote, I didn't know who I was voting for. I mean, I knew who I was voting for, but I didn't know why I was voting for them. What would be the harm in waiting a little bit longer and making sure that people were educated? I would love to see a system in place. And I don't know, this is kind of idealistic and probably not realistic. But what if you had to pass a test before you could vote to to illustrate that you were knowledgeable on some topics? I mean, because if you're not knowledgeable on a topic, you probably shouldn't be steering the direction of the government who's making decisions regarding those topics. I mean, if somebody came to me and they said, uh, hey, (laughs) Elon Musk wants your input on this new rocket he's designing. Um, What do you think about the thrusters? Do you think we should go with the um, nuclear fission thrusters or the or the atom uh, dissection thrusters? <laughs> I mean, I have no clue. And then you have people saying, well, just vote. Just get out there and just make a decision. Just pick something. No, that is not the answer. Just vote is not the answer. Just educate yourself and then vote is the answer. Because telling people just to vote is encouraging them to make decisions based on the wrong topics, the wrong reasoning. And that's bad. That's not good. We shouldn't be voting people into president because they show up at a rally and play the music that we like. I would love to see an app or a website or some sort of platform that goes nationwide and everyone who's running for any office of any kind goes, registers their profile, and you know you can go through and you can look who's running, and you can look everyone as high as the, the presidential election all the way down to your local and county elections. And it could be something that's very user-friendly. There's a series of questions that the candidate has to answer, and it's the same questions on everyone's profile. And every now and then, maybe the, the profile could allow uh, users to upload questions and, and get a series of answers to specific questions uploaded by the users. Step should be taken so that it doesn't become a Facebook or a place where a political debate. It'd be cool if all you could do was ask the candidate a question. You couldn't respond. You couldn't put your opinion up there. You just ask them a question. No thumbs up, no thumbs down, just information provided by the candidates. I suspect you wouldn't see anything like this because candidates don't want it. There's so many people out there, these little county elections, county judges, sheriffs who... The only reason they win is because they're in a town where their friends have enough votes to get them into office. And so they wouldn't like something like this because now all their opinions and decisions are going to be out there. And that's another thing, too. It would show, you know, if you've already been in office, it would show all the things that you voted on. And then there would be no more excuse for people not being educated. There would be no more reason for people just to have to just go vote. Just vote one way or another. I don't know. I don't know how to build apps. I don't know how to build websites. If you want to do it with me, HMU. I'm going to talk a little bit now about quote-unquote price gouging. I think I may have touched on this before, but it recently entered my mind again. Because if, um, if you don't know 
like nitrile gloves, like rubber gloves that they use in medical exam situations and kitchens have like quadrupled in price. So we used to pay like $8.50 for a package of 100. Now I think they're like 32 for a pack of 100. Obviously that's because of COVID. There's been more nurses needed. They need more gloves. And so the demand has outpaced the supply. This is the same thing that happened to toilet paper, which is what I talked about last. But for some reason, they allowed the price of gloves to go up and let the market sort it out, which I think is beautiful. As much as I hate paying $18 for a pack of gloves, I know that letting the price go that high will fix things faster. Whereas if you were to just limit everyone to buying one or two packs of gloves, you're going to be stuck with that shortage for a lot longer. And let me explain why. Shortages happen whenever people want to buy things and there's not enough to satisfy their need. So just like in toilet paper, everyone ran out and bought toilet paper, which is still hilarious to me because no one really knows why. But instead of increasing the price to the consumer, they just would limit you, you know, only one pack of toilet paper or whatever. And so if we look at it from a standpoint of let's let people charge whatever they want to for the toilet paper. Now, their first thought might be, well, then great. Now the rich people get the toilet paper and the poor people don't get to have any. Probably not true because I don't think toilet paper would ever get to the price at which no one could afford it. And if it did, there are alternatives. And it doesn't sound fun, but it can get you by. Most of the world doesn't have access to toilet paper like we do. Either way, let's just say that um, we allow people to price toilet paper whatever they want to. Naturally, the price is going to go through the roof, okay? So that price starts out at Sam's, and then the distributors, and then the manufacturers, and then the people who make the cardboard tubes that go inside of it, that sell the manufacturers. It goes all the way up because now they can charge more for the same product. And so what that does is incentivizes people who may be making notebook paper. I'm just using that as an example. I don't know if it's the same type factory, but let's just say that they can, they can shift their production to make toilet paper now because the price has gone up so much. If you, if you don't allow the price to go up, now you're relying on all the same manufacturers who are getting the same price for their toilet paper. All they can do is just make it as fast as they possibly can because they're running at capacity. They can't make any more. They can just think of it like a funnel. And no matter how fast you pour something into a funnel, it will only come out of one end at a certain rate. So by adding more factories or production capacity, it's just like adding funnels. So whatever it is you're pouring through the funnel will make it through the other side and fill up quicker. So it gets more into the marketplace. And once the marketplace gets satisfied, what happens to the price? It comes back down. So that's, that's the most beneficial thing that can happen is we can get the prices back down as fast as possible. Another thing that happens whenever the price goes up really high, it stops people from hoarding right? Right now, the gloves are $32 a box. I don't buy more than one at a time because I don't want to be sitting on them and the price come back down. Now I've overpaid for gloves. So it keeps people from hoarding them, thus driving up the price even more. A perfect example of this is in the um, distilling industry. So right when COVID hit, there was a huge rush on hand sanitizer. Well, the main ingredient of hand sanitizer is pure alcohol. What happened to the demand of vodka and whiskey? Mm, probably went down a little bit, for, at least in the short run. 
so now you've got these distillers who are capable of making alcohol, which goes into hand sanitizer. And so they just shift their production from vodka to hand sanitizer. And that helps keep the marketplace satisfied. And then once everyone's happy and the falls back in equilibrium, then they can shift back to vodka. But they're going to make what's most profitable to them. And by raising the price of hand sanitizer, it brings other people into the production place. It incentivizes companies to make it that wouldn't otherwise. So I don't know. That's that, that's just one reason why I'm a big fan of letting the price work itself out. Another example is when a hurricane comes and there's a gas station and people get mad because the gas station wants to charge more for their fuel. What people don't think about is the person that has to work in that gas station and tend to the fuel pumping while a hurricane's coming. Should they be required to work at the same rate? Should they have to work for their $12 an hour? Or do you think it would be fair to say, hey, there's a hurricane coming. How much is it going to take for me to sit here and sell gas at my gas station? Oh, no, you don't get to make more. You have to sell it for the same price. Um, okay, well, then I'm just going to close and leave. No, 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 you can't do that. You have to sell gas. But it's not worth it for me. I would rather keep my gas and leave and make sure that I get out of here alive. Nope, that's not an option. You have to sell gas at the market rate. People need gas. What people fail to admit or they refuse to admit is that as unfortunate as it sounds, our economy is based on he who has the most money has the most goods. And, and I know that sounds terrible, but you got to remember that that goes all the way from the top. It's not just that doesn't just apply to the most wealthy of wealthy of Trump people that applies to the middle class guy. And it's what keeps him from being lower class. And it's what keeps the lower class from being homeless. This is what allows people to buy boats and secondary vehicles and have air conditioning in their shops and their garage. I mean, this country is set up to where the, the harder you work, the smarter you work, the more you own, the more you can have. And when everyone wants something and you have more money, you're going to get it. At least I think that's how it should be. I know there are lots of people out there that disagree, and I'm okay with that. Now, there are certain things that don't fall into this category, obviously. And those are, those are state-provided goods, fire service, EMS, police service. I do think everyone's entitled to a basic health care. I, I feel like, in my opinion, it's probably a little bit more basic than a lot of people. But I think that we have the money to provide basic health care. The main argument in that statement is define basic. But I'm not going to get into that right now. My whole point is that you should allow the market to sort itself out. Because what happens is things get back to normal faster. And that should be our goal. Get back to normal faster. And you know what? Maybe, maybe I would have fallen in the group that couldn't afford toilet paper. Maybe toilet paper would have fallen to $500 a roll. And you know what? If we're being honest, if toilet paper got above $3, $4 a roll, I wouldn't buy it. For $4 for a roll of toilet paper? No, I'd figure something out, man. I got a bunch of old t-shirts I can use. I got a shower right next to my toilet. I mean, guys, it's not the end of the world if you don't have toilet paper. Allow the price to sort itself out. You don't need toilet paper to live. Speaking of toilet paper, you know, the, the biggest thing that everyone's up in arms about in regards to this election is the mail-in voting. I've talked a little bit about it before. But as I think about it, I just think to myself, are there really people out there who are willing to cheat our elections? And I fully believe the answer to that is yes. And that's mind-boggling to me. I mean, we are so lucky to live in a country where we have a peaceful transition of power and we can have an election process that we can trust and put faith in. And to compromise that 
in the name of selecting a president. And listen, I'm not singling out parties. I think that both sides will cheat. And I can only hope that they'll wash each other out. But, but there's so many countries out there that would love to have a f- free election, fair and balanced, no outside influence. I mean, living in Nicaragua, I saw it. People, what, hap- what happens, what ends up happening is that people lose all faith and they think their vote doesn't matter and they don't care. And so they just don't go vote. And then now you have the people that are in power, they just stay in power. To me, election integrity is more important than who's in office. And it really bothers me that everyone doesn't feel that way. The, the, the notion that someone's willing to go cheat our election process. I mean, here's the deal. If Biden wins, I mean, I'm not excited. I'll be pretty sad. But I'm going to go on about my life. I won't protest. I'm not going to advocate that he gets impeached. I will make great fun of him. I'll laugh at all the memes. But it's still, I would rather have that than a rigged election. I mean, this is the USA. We don't rig elections. We may have some corrupt politicians. We do stuff under the table, just like everyone else. I'd love to see that end, but it's probably not possible. But the one thing we cannot have are rigged elections. And I know someone out there who's listening to this right now, and they're saying, yeah, but Trump rigged the elections with the Russians. Nope, he didn't. I don't think he did. I think he spent tons of money in advertising and he bought all kinds of space on Facebook and he may have created bots who may have posted things about him. That's not rigging the election. That's, uh, that's some guerrilla marketing. And, and persuading people through social media is not rigging elections because those people had a choice. They either chose to listen to the ad or they didn't and they chose to vote for Trump or they didn't. Rigging the elections is completely different because it takes the choice out of people's hands. And we recently had a choice taken out of our hands at Nuasis Brewing Company. If you remember back when COVID first started, they shut us down. Then they told us we could reopen if we serve food. So we scrambled around like chickens with our heads cut off. We turned a closet into a kitchen, fully functional commercial kitchen. We decided we wanted to serve barbecue. We dragged the barbecue pit up there. I called Development Services, who's responsible for all the city permitting all the construction. And I said, Hey, can you come out and walk this with me? I want to look at, uh, I want you to look at our barbecue pit. I want to show you where we want to set it up. And we want to build a wooden shack around it. Keep the flies away, keep the bums away, have a place to go in when it's raining. And so the barbecue pit would sit inside this shack. So they came out, they walked everything with me. He told me, you know, here's the maximum square footage. Doesn't really matter what it's built out of. Doesn't have to be permitted because it's so small. So we built it, mainly kale. I ordered the materials, kale, and a few helpers built the shack. Now, recently they come back and they said, yeah, that shack's not going to, it's not going to fly. Yeah, but, but you guys said it was fine. Yeah, that was wrong. It was some bad information. It's not, uh, it's not windstorm approved. It doesn't meet fire code. So, you know, you've got 30 days to, to get your barbecue pit out of there. And you've got five months to build a new shed if you want to build one, provided that it's, um, you know, permitted. Okay. A couple days goes by, get a letter from the fire marshal. You have five days to get your barbecue pit out of that shack, or we're going to start finding you every single day. It's not out of there. So (laughs) here we are on the heels of COVID still unsure if we're really going to make it 
I, I ripped the barbecue pit out of there that day. I had it torn down the next day. I had the whole shack torn down. We probably spent $5,000 on materials, and it was torn down in a matter of 30 minutes. And, and it just broke our hearts just sitting there watching it go to waste. And I got to thinking, you know, I understand that it could be a fire hazard, but let's use some common sense. We have a wooden structure right next to a solid cinder block building. Chances are if it caught on fire, the wood structure would burn, the brick structure would be absolutely fine. Here we are on the tail of COVID, hopefully, with these guys who are trying to make it. They've pumped a decent amount of money into our downtown. They're becoming a crowd favorite. They're on the news once or twice a week. Let's think outside the box. Let's make an exception. Let's figure out how we can make this work. Instead of, nope, you have five days to tear it down. So here we are getting ready to pump money we don't have into a proper barbecue shack. I mean, these, these people who make these decisions, I hate to say it, I really do, but they're not, they're not decision makers. They're not qualified. They don't want to speak their mind and use their mind because they're worried about their job. And let's face it, you know, these guys are firefighters. They didn't sign up to be decision makers when it came to city policy. All they know is what's flammable and what's not flammable. And it doesn't matter to them who's going to go broke in this process and how much money people have to spend. Well, that's not their job. They shouldn't have gone into business for themselves. You know, I can hear them now. Very, very frustrating. I would love to see a city who, who takes pride in making things easy for developers and construction and incentivizes fast construction and makes it simple. Of course, we want buildings to stand up and not fall down. Of course, we want things that will withstand windstorm. But, I mean, even if the consumer is willing to spend less money to have something that will get blown away, then the city should just make sure they have the proper insurance policy to cover that. Because granted, nobody wants a, a city whose downtown gets demolished every time a little storm comes along. But I think that you should be able to build your project to one of three standards, a low standard, a mid standard, and a high standard, or four or five or whatever, just different tiers. The, the lower your standard, the more insurance you have to have to cover that so that if things blow away, we know that it's covered. Instead, we just make this code that's difficult and expensive and clunky, and it requires all sorts of engineers and stamps. And, it, you know, we've been doing construction for hundreds of years. Like, we know it works. I don't know. It'd be tough to turn a city around and convince them to operate in a very free, fast, and expeditious, efficient manner. But it wouldn't be that hard to start one from scratch. Anybody up for starting a city? Hit me up. All right, homies. I think that's going to end today's show. I was hoping to make this the first day in 58 days that I didn't go to the brewery. But I don't think that's going to happen. My buddy Ray's coming over with a slew of Malinois. And I think he wants to go get some beer probably some barbecue and come back to the house and train dogs. So that's probably what I'm going to do the rest of the day. I appreciate you listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. My name is Brandon Harper. Thanks for tuning in. Hit me up if you want to sponsor. Go out there. Make your opinion known. Do it respectfully. If you're going to disagree, don't be disagreeable. Until the next show, keep it tranquilo. Low.